0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. As always, the podcast is brought to you by my sponsors. That includes ControlUp and Dan Digital Experience Management for the Work From Anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. And also brought to you by Networks Policy Pack, where you use Group Policy, Policy Pack, Cloud, or MDM to remove local admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also brought to you by Numescent, the inventors of the first and only cloud-native container management platform for Windows desktops. If you've enjoyed the show over the last year, you have these great sponsors to thank. And now for a look back at some of the biggest news of 2023. In my opinion, the biggest story in enterprise IT and just tech in general for 2023 has been the rise of AI, and at the heart of it has been the company OpenAI who make ChatGPT. I could speak from my own personal experience. I bought a subscription as soon as it became available. The initial GPT 3 was rough around the edges, but still very impressive. It had some limitations that were listed. The biggest of which, in my opinion, was that it was working off a dataset that was years behind. So if you asked the service about anything current, it would warn that it is unable to handle the questions about recent events. Since the initial launch, a major development was Microsoft coming on board as the main investor. Microsoft started to go all in on AI integrations within their product suite with Copilot, which at first was being delineated between Copilot for Windows, Copilot for Office, Bing Chat for Enterprise, and some other announced integrations for products like GitHub. They since have been on a rebranding exercise with everything just being called Copilot, and it is becoming available in Windows 11, and they recently announced Copilot will be coming to Windows 10 too, with users being able to use the service to create things like Word documents from scratch, create PowerPoint slide decks, get existing decks improved upon, or get documents rewritten, and much, much more. This partnership has also led to Bing integration within GPT-4, and that means ChatGPT can now return results for more current topics. One underlying issue, in my opinion again, That I still encounter is a favoritism towards certain sources, such as Microsoft sources for tech information. That could certainly become an issue for regulators in future. OpenAI as a company had a wild and turbulent end to the year with CEO Sam Altman being fired by the board. Greg Brockman also announced he resigned and then there was something akin to a mutiny with Microsoft reportedly involved expressing their displeasure with the move to remove Altman. Employees were calling for the board to resign and a whole lot of negative press coverage was going around for several days. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella then announced both Altman and Brockman were hired by Microsoft. But within a day, it was announced that Altman was reinstated as CEO of OpenAI and most of the board was replaced. As we face into 2024, all seems well again for OpenAI, and as I was just at the Gardner IOCS conference, I could say a whole lot of companies have spawned off the rising interest in AI, and they had enough money to put into sponsoring a Gardner event, so I think that is a pretty good indication of how the market is right now. Google certainly seemed to be threatened by ChatGPT, and they likely should be. If everyone just uses an AI chatbot, it will drive a lot of traffic away from traditional search engines by Google. And as stated, Microsoft are in at the ground level with OpenAI. They had a Bing AI chatbot, which is now under the entire copilot brand. And GPT-4 uses Bing, as I said earlier, for part of its data retrieval. Google launched their Bard service and have since announced Gemini, but being in the position of chasing has not helped their perception, in my opinion. The initial bar demos faced ridicule, and the newer multimodal Gemini service had its trailer labeled as fake. Certainly, competition in the space will be important for driving innovation and pricing, so we should all hope that serious contenders step up, and I'm sure Google will be one of them. While the AI revolution could be a major positive for mankind, and it is certainly being welcomed by chip manufacturers like NVIDIA who must produce chips equipped for the computations required by AI services, a major downside of the AI revolution is the power consumption. The continuation of the current trends in AI capacity and adoption are set to lead to NVIDIA shipping 1.5 million AI server units per year by 2027. And these 1.5 million servers running at full capacity reportedly will consume at least 85.4 terawatt hours of electricity annually more than what many small countries use in a year according to a new assessment and a recent report suggested microsoft's own ai initiatives could use as much power as a small country by 2027 as well when the world is facing into a climate crisis this is far from ideal So with the rapid pace of progress in the AI space, I'm sure 2024 is going to be another exciting year. Another significant trend of 2023 has been layoffs in tech. FastCompany.com reported in December that 1,157 tech companies have now laid off 257,778 workers over the course of the year. Some big company names were included in the list of those who laid off staff this year, including Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Spotify, Salesforce, VMware, and Citrix, to name a few. I guess one positive in the short-term view is that in the TechCrunch.com article that reported the total layoff numbers for each month of 2023, it appears the most layoffs occurred in January and February, and whilst layoffs did continue throughout the year, the rate of layoffs tapered off considerably. Unfortunately, if 2024 follows the trend of 2023, there could be considerably more layoffs announced early in the year as many organizations begin new fiscal years. So I guess we're going to have to wait and see how 2024 begins. But if it follows the trend of 2023, there could be a large number of layoffs in the first couple of months and then continued layoffs throughout the year, but in smaller numbers. Perhaps somewhat related to the layoffs has been the 2023 trend of more organizations pushing for a return to the office. Studies in 2021 and 2022 did suggest a blended hybrid work style was likely in the long term but this year saw more organizations pushing to increase the time spent in the office, and in some cases, forcing staff to return to the office full time. This has been suggested by some throughout the year as a ploy to force employees to resign, to in turn help organizations lower headcount without the bad publicity of laying staff off or without the need to pay severance. Another example of this trend going the wrong way for some, the company WeWork, who specialized in pay-as-you-go office space and co-working spaces, that kind of thing, filed for bankruptcy, which could also be an indication of a trend away from the work from anywhere mantra. Thankfully, more recently, there has been a slowdown in efforts to return to the office, and reports from managers in organizations that did push for a return to the office have talked openly about their regrets making the move. It'll be interesting to see how things lie 12 months from now. End user computing also had a very disruptive year with Citrix and VMware both being taken over by private equity firms. There may or may not be a trend towards Azure Virtual Desktop. It's somewhat hard to determine uh, just based off of vague numbers, but I do believe that as Azure Virtual Desktop has experienced, but I do believe Azure Virtual Desktop has experienced significant growth in the last few years at least. Windows 365 has also continued its upward trajectory in terms of features with Windows 365 Boot, Windows 365 Switch, Dev Box, and more being launched this year. But similarly on the earnings calls, it has been kind of vague in regards to Windows 365. For some reason, Microsoft hold their cards very close to their chest when it comes to growth of Azure Virtual Desktop and Windows 365. But at least for Azure Virtual Desktop, they give a percentage of growth. now. It's a percentage without giving, you know, what the actual number was before the growth occurred. So you can't really determine, you know, what the customer size is. Uh, But for Windows 365, they haven't given a percentage of growth, uh, I believe, not yet, at least on the earnings calls. Uh, They instead just give some very high name reference customers. For their part, it seems like Citrix under the TIBCO brand are bringing things back to basics a little bit, focusing more on the core products in the Citrix stack. From what has been reported and also from what I've heard from Citrix customers myself, there has been some unrest and upset caused by the new licensing and the significant cost increase related to it. The VMware acquisition is still very fresh because it dragged out for most of the year, but it appears Broadcom may take a similar approach to Tipco in focusing more on the core VMware products, which would be their infrastructure offerings such as ESXi. VMware have announced their intent to divest their end user computing division that would include things like Workspace ONE and VMware Horizon. VMware also announced a very hard approach to licensing with an intention to force customers off perpetual licensing moving towards subscription in the future. This is due to them not renewing perpetual licenses in future and also no longer offering support when perpetual license agreements expire. So if a customer does currently have a perpetual license and then it expires and they decide not to renew into a subscription, theoretically, they could continue to use the product since they did buy the perpetual license, but they will not receive support, which is obviously a requirement to most enterprises. On the application side of EUC, Late in the year, MSIX saw some potentially large improvements with an analyzer option built into the packaging tool and some automated fix-ups that should improve compatibility for the container format, which has been the major downside so far. Windows Package Manager continues to get promoted to the top of the table. And I believe last year was that it became integrated with the Microsoft Store. And this year, Microsoft announced an Intune add-in via the Intune suite that appears to enable evergreen application assignments that leverages WinGet. Liquid was acquired by Recast Software. Patch My PC publicly announced becoming a partner in PSADT show sponsor Numescent, and my employer just to be clear announced app V optimizations to extend app V packages beyond estimate and end of life and an automated prefetch feature to improve launch performance of applications using machine learning capabilities over time. so as more users use the applications the launch performance and the analysis for the launch gets refined and it improves more over time. Policypack, another show sponsor, announced their application manager product that makes harnessing the power of Windows Package Manager or Winget easy and provides management oversight for it, which is something that's lacking if you just try to use the native Winget and commands yourself. ControlUp announced so many improvements to EdgeDX and they launched their comprehensive FSLogix metrics as well as launching an offer of 53 licenses to those in the community for EdgeDX, among many more announcements. End-user computing should be interesting in 2024, as I'm sure there will be many AI-related features announced from various vendors. As expected at this point, it was another rough year in terms of cyber attacks, with two months beating the record for number of ransomware attacks in a given month in 2023. I could go through a bunch of the high-profile victims and cases, but it has been brought to my attention before that when I do too much on the Infosec front, it can be a bit of a drag. So instead of going crazy, I figured I would highlight a couple that I think are cases that are most significant. First, the breach. That was a story that just kept gathering momentum as what seemed to be a relatively straightforward case, much customer data, blossomed into a story much bigger. It turned out that up to 97% of customer support data was breached, and this is pretty sensitive data as attackers now know what organizations are using Okta. They can figure out who the administrators are at those customers and potentially attempt social engineering to get access to their environments by tricking by tricking victims to hand over Okta credentials. I think the nature of how the story started out with things being kind of underplayed to it becoming so big is what made this such a significant story. Uh, it may be a lesson for others out there of how to handle these, these disclosures. The other major security story, in my opinion, was the case of Microsoft's own signed certificates being used by attackers. A gang got a developer account that essentially gave them the keys to the kingdom to produce their own Microsoft signed certificates that they could then use to sign things like kernel drivers that could run with system privileges and environments to essentially provide carte blanche access to gangs to do whatever they wanted. Now Microsoft for their part did act relatively quickly to revoke the certificates, but this was a major incident. And even though it was a major incident, it did not seem to get as much press coverage as I would have expected, to be honest. It would be interesting to see if there are any Microsoft signed certificates used in attacks in the future, or if the ones that have been produced have already been spent, or if Microsoft were able to look at the developer account that was breached and see what certificates were created or signed by that account and just revoke all of those so there's none out there that could be used in future. It was a mixed year for the community in my opinion as it was announced late in 2023 that the cugc was being put to an end which was a major bummer citrix announced that they're going to focus on their own events in future and it seems like smaller community events under the citrix umbrella is uncertain at this time and euc in my opinion continues to be underserved by bloggers For some reason, it just seems like there are not a whole lot of new faces or content being put out related to EUC into the world. It also seemed to me at least some events, mostly those that were vendor driven, seemed to be skewing audience wise mostly towards like MSPs, consultants and vendors in attendance rather than customers, so a big part of the conversation is missing at those events now. Also Twitter, which is now X, to me was the best tool for community engagement. And this year was a bad year for the platform as it took a nosedive after its acquisition. It has become a much more commercial vehicle, which seems to be affecting the quality of discussion on the platform. At least for now, maybe things will turn around in 2024. On the plus side, great events like E2EVC, AVD Tech Fest, App Manage Event, MMS, EUC Forum, and EUC Tech seem to be going from strength to strength. So there is hope out there. And if you haven't heard of these events before. They're worth looking up, and our community really needs them, so please do support them. But that's it for the annual wrap-up. I didn't want to go too long on it. So let's go to some of the highlights from scripts, tricks, and tips for the year. We'll go pretty rapid-fire through these because I've picked quite a few. But first up, my buddy Dave Brett had a great blog post on making your Citrix policy secure by default. So heads up, I think I also covered it the year before, uh, but the awesome Patrick Koble had a great session and I believe content out there like a a matrix showing various different platforms and their security by default and surprise, uh, most platforms are not very secure by default. So there's settings that you definitely need to change. And Dave gives a great guide when it comes to Citrix on securing by default. Speaking of Patrick Koble, I didn't want to leave him out. He launched his Enterprise Browser Battle, which is a comparison of the major browsers within the scope of security. I believe he also covers the uh, secure browser options as well as just browser security features themselves. So definitely worth one checking out. Sticking with some security related topics now, Luke Bency and Sydney Williams had an article on helping your employees make strong passwords a habit. This is something I actually blogged about on my own site a couple of years ago, where I think if you teach employees how to manage their passwords properly and just authentication properly, not just for their enterprise accounts, but for their personal accounts and their personal lives too, I think that would go a long way to helping enterprise security overall. And this is a pretty good blog post on that. Also security related, but more of a podcast. My buddy Jeremy Moskowitz was featured on Run As Radio covering the local administrator password solution and went into the uh, the newer iteration too. And I'm highlighting just that episode, but it's been a bumper year for Run As Radio. If you don't listen to the podcast, it's better than my podcast in my opinion. Now it is an interview format, but it's just full of really great interviews. The production qualities are amazing. Uh, Check out that podcast. It's awesome. The great Martin Turkleston had a blog post series on Azure Bastion. And this is a long comprehensive series. So if you're into Azure and you're looking at network security within Azure, this is one you'll definitely want to check out. It was a pretty big year for Intune because it's been a big year for the last few years with more organizations moving to managing devices that are remote. Uh, But Janik Reinhardt had a great blog post on how to create PowerShell scripts to automate tasks in Intune. And speaking of automation and also uh, very fitting with such the AI-heavy year that was 2023, Doug Finke shared his PowerShell AI. So if you want to use ChatGPT from PowerShell or within your PowerShell scripts, check out this. My buddy Trent Tai had an excellent series of tweets on the impact of enabling offloading features that move server processing to the client. And he goes through pretty detailed on what the impact is, showing some uh, metrics and dashboards to make the point. And it couldn't be a scripts, tricks, and tips roundup without featuring the awesome James Rankin. He had a series of blog posts, not necessarily a series where they're all linking one another and keeping within a trend, but just multiple blog posts on the topic of Citrix UPM containers and I had the pleasure of seeing him present on the topic of profile management in UPM at the Dublin UGC during the year. It was actually in Belfast, sorry the Irish CUGC but it was in Belfast. and uh, one of the blog posts is getting started with Citrix UPM containers. so if you haven't tried them out yet that's a good place to start. Anton van Pelt shared a tip from Jim Moyle that he gave out at the UC Masters Retreat, and that is you can use control and space when writing PowerShell, and it will give you all the possible parameters that are available. And just like with James Rankin, I couldn't do a roundup without featuring something from Guy Leach. Guy shared some PowerShell for exporting events from the Windows events for specific event providers from a specific date and time. So this is something that I've used quite a lot in my day-to-day IT career. And it's something that's very, very useful because you don't want to have to trudge through those Windows events if you're looking for something specific. Zupan Safar earlier in the year had a PowerShell tip on how to get folder size using PowerShell, which is also something that I've had to do quite a bit in the last year and you might find it interesting or useful too. I would say one tip, it wasn't actually featured this year, but kind of to reiterate, it seems like there's a little bit of a downturn in terms of EUC uh, community engagement and content being put out there. So if you listen to this podcast and you work in EUC and you don't have something like podcasts, you don't blog, maybe you're not active in forums or going to user groups, I would strongly encourage you to do so because it seems like those who were maybe speaking at events and doing the blogging are no longer active either. So there is a void. So it would be great if others could step up and you will get notoriety that you deserve. And you'll just be helping others out as well. But that's it for this episode of the podcast. I hope to be back to my regular episode release cadence for the next episode. I hope you all had great holidays and I'll catch you then.